welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. To stand as we honor God's Word. If you're visiting, we'd like to stand and acknowledge the Word of God is just that, God's Word. Absolute, perfect, true, and as I told the new members class this morning, sufficient for our needs. First John chapter number 3, we'll be reading verses 1 through 3. John says, Behold, recognize, take notice. What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we, believers, should be called the children or the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now we are the sons of God, And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man, every woman, every believer, every child of God that has this hope, the hope of seeing him as he is, that person purifies himself, even as he is pure. Father, thank you for your word that we don't take for granted that we have access to your complete, absolute truth that we can read on our own, study on our own, or certainly come here on a Sunday morning with hundreds of friends, family, family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, and read it, hear from your word, hear from you. God, I pray that we would have attentive ears, attentive hearts, and that the children of God, believers today, will understand, even in our finite ways, through your word, how much you love us. And how much and how you demonstrated your love for us. So that sinners could be considered sons. So that sinners could be considered daughters. So that the sinners in this room who made you Lord of their life could be considered part of your family. What a thought. Help us to understand that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. For the last several weeks, we began this series and continued with the series of authentic Christianity. What an authentic Christian really looks like, knowing that in the last days, that we're living in the last days, there will be As John said, those who come out from us, but they were not 
of us. I think it's safe to say you don't have to be a Bible scholar or a statistician to look around and acknowledge that there are many people claiming to be something they're not. Not because we're the judge, but because God has given us the standard. And it's clear that as the last day approaches, when Jesus returns, that this problem, this situation will get worse and worse. There will be more and more claiming to be something they're not. But as long as we're faithful to the word of God, it will be very clear to Christians who is and who isn't. As simple as it may sound, it's those who remain, or as John said a couple weeks ago, abide in him. Remain true to his word. John writes this letter really to encourage believers to, to keep on remaining, to keep on abiding. He's writing uh, to fix, that's a good Greek southern word to fix some problems in the church. And the problems were that people were leaving, not just the local church, but people were leaving the church. They were giving up on Christianity, but they weren't just saying, I don't believe that anymore. What they were doing was creating a new Christianity. Can anybody kind of acknowledge under their breath, maybe an amen, that there's nothing new under the sun? You know, everybody's going to heaven. They're just getting there different ways. And there's so many little branches of Christianity now. And this is what John was writing against and in light of false religions, false teachers, which lead to false believers. And how sad, I can't help but keep repeating how sad, how tragic is that one day there will be false believers who thought they were authentic Christians. That's a, that's a sad, that's a tragic thought. But they had been and have been and will have been deceived by false teachers preaching a false gospel. And they'll hear, depart from me. You workers of lawlessness, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. Not I once knew you, but you changed your mind. I never knew you. And I can't think, honestly, as a pastor, as a Christian, I can't think of a more sad thought than someone thinking they're on their way to heaven, only to find out. I never knew you. Now, if we're, if we're honest and have a heart beating in our chest and a little sympathy, we don't want to believe that's going to happen. But it is. It is. And it will. And John's job and John's purpose and my purpose, quite honestly, is that everyone who hears me preach a message this morning or any morning would never be able to stand before God thinking there's something they're not. And I believe as long as the pastor and the church and the local churches continue to preach the truth of God's word, we can prevent that from happening. And John's doing that. John's calling out people. He's already called people liars a few times. I, that's more, I wouldn't even do that. That's bad. 
He's solving the problems in the church by preaching Jesus. And he wants us to know that we have eternal life. And here in this text that we're reading, just these three verses, where we think about what an authentic Christian looks like, an authentic Christian is a part of the family of God. And John wants us to know that we are, if we're truly born again, children of God. I say that, and there's so many thoughts that come through my mind, and so many uh, tangents I want to go on and rabbit holes and all those things that make my sermons longer than they should be. But I can't say the family of God without thinking of how messed up families are today in this country. You say, well, oh, you're going off. With, no, no, I'm trying to make, a, I'm going to make a point, I think. I, I was just in a, I just had a podcast this week with um, Hannah Arrowwood. She's spoken here on a Sunday night. Uh, she is the um, founder and executive director of Present Age Ministries. And it's amazing. It just, I, I say this often, I say it facetiously, it's amazing how smart God is. And then when God established the family, he established it intentionally and purposefully. And then that when we do things the way God said do them, there are benefits. And when we don't do things the way God says do them, there are consequences. And we live in a sad world. We live in a sin-cursed, messed-up world. And I promise you, you just have to take my word for it and stop 10 minutes of rambling if you just acknowledge that I might be right. At the world I'm in, on a daily basis, in some of the, the places I go, it is evidenced that the problem is families. The lack of a God-instituted family. I was talking to Hannah and the podcast will come out next week. You need to hear it. You need to hear what she has to say. It was like 43 minutes, and it could have been three hours and 43 minutes. We had to stop say, we'll do it again. Our, our parents, churches, pastors, schools need to hear what she has to say, and there's great things happening with her ministry and what they're doing. But it's amazing that we can talk about sex trafficking, sexual abuse, exploitation, happening right in our backyard. And 99 times out of 100, we can just about point it back to a family situation. And God knows what he's talking about. And when he says a man should leave and cleave to a woman, and they should have babies, and that's how the family should look, and that the man should love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, and that she should submit to the husband as unto the Lord, and that the children should obey and respect the parents, things work out better. Uh, that, you would think I had to go to college to figure that out, but we can all read it and know that God ordained the family. And I say we're part of the family of God. What really draws my attention and my point is it's hard for many Christians to understand 
the benefits of being in the family of God because they've never experienced benefits of being in a godly family. I didn't write that in my notes, and that sounded really good, so somebody ought to write that down so I don't forget I said that. Our world is so messed up. We can't understand, many people can't understand the love of a heavenly father because they've never understood the love of an earthly father. And here we are trying to tell them about a God who loves them, who can be a father to the fatherless. And they've never known what it is like to hear a dad say, I love you. There are people in this room who've never heard a dad genuinely say, son, I love you. Son, I'm for you. Son, you get in trouble, I want you coming to me. But yet we teach and preach of a God who says, son, I love you. I'm for you. And if I'm for you, who can be against you? If you get in trouble, I want you to come talk to me. We talk about the family of God, and it's hard for a lot of Christians sitting in church pews on Sunday to wrap their minds around what that looks like. And John starts off with covering what Barry tried to mess up my sermon singing. As children of God, we should recognize his love. Now what's interesting about that is we don't have the capacity to understand God's love. But he wants us to recognize it. He says, he uses the word behold, take notice. What manner of love the Father has bestowed or given to us. He says, stop, church, recognize the love that God has given. He uses the phrase manner, the manner of love, which is an interesting phrase. It's a, in Greek, the phrase manner, it, it produces a phrase like this, something out of this world. Behold the out of this world love the Father has for you. Now, quite honestly, it is a love from out of this world. John says, Christian, believer, think about this. I think it's a challenge to wrap your mind around the manner of love the Father has given to you. Paul in Ephesians 3 says that Christ's love surpasses our knowledge. Can't put it into words. We can try. That doesn't mean don't try. But he, he wants us to understand. He, he says the manner in which. It's a, a different, out-of-this-world type love. Something you're not used to. Something you can't just point to. It's a different love. Uh, I think this is really, really important for us to understand as believers how much God loves us. I think it's really important for a lost person sitting here today, listening here today, to understand God loves you in a way you can't understand. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We, we, 
we church people mess that up. We say it so fast. We're so happy that we've memorized the verse. We say it so fast, we don't even know what it says. Right? For God so loved the world. It's a manner of God's love, and he says it in the word so. And then he explains. This is how God loves us. I hope we've really absorbed this verse. God loved us so much that he gave his only son, Jesus. That whoever believes in him should not perish, die without hope, but have everlasting life. The love of God was demonstrated to us by him allowing his only son, who pre-incarnate was with him, and is God, he allowed him to relinquish his, I say that lightly, kingly role to take on flesh and be born as a baby in a sin-cursed world. God in the flesh. Now we know this. You're like, you're going to waste my time with it's not Christmas yet. We're close. I think it's going to be the high for Christmas is like 87. I think I read that already. <laughs> Some of y'all can tell I'm a little bitter about the weather, just in case. First day of fall. <clears throat> it's not fall to me until it's sweater weather all week. Then it's fall. Care what Brad Panovich says. No, <laughs> don't like him anyway. God loved us so much that he demonstrated it by sending his son to allow himself to be immersed in a sin-cursed world, to be mistreated, to be poor, and all the things we know about baby Jesus and little boy Jesus and teenager Jesus and grown man Jesus to be mocked and talked about and laughed at and ridiculed all his life and ultimately beaten and killed. And hung on a cross. What? That's because that's how he demonstrated his love toward us. Jesus did all that. God did all that because he so loved us. Nobody can understand that. Nobody in here is going to be sacrificing their children for someone they don't know. No one's going to give up their firstborn for someone they don't know. How about this? But God demonstrated his love toward us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8. Furthermore, not only did God demonstrate his love in this way to where he allowed Jesus, his son, to to be born here. It was bad enough to be born here and to live here, but to die here. But he did it while we were yet sinners. I love Romans 5, 8, by the way. And if nobody told you what a sinner is, you are. I am. Because we were born into sin. 
He said, I ain't sinned all day. It's Sunday. I've been doing good so far. It's like 11.20, and I don't think I've sinned one time. Well, good for you. You're still a sinner. And I'm still a sinner. And I was born a sinner. And even though I was a sinner, God loved me and demonstrated his love toward me and for me. And, and he says, and this is how, our, how we use this, is, hey, you want to know how much God loved you, boy, girl, man, woman, while you were a sinner? Or for the lost person, right now, God loves you. God loves you right now. Does that mean you're on your way to heaven? No. If you're lost, you're on your way to hell. But God loves you. And while you're a sinner right now, even before you were a sinner, in the mind of God, he's eternal. He knew you, but he loved you. And while you were a sinner... Christ died for you. It's not just the, the way Jesus died. It's the when Jesus died. Y'all understand that. Don't, don't be, I'm not on the timeline, all right? He died a way that's unimaginable. But he died even while I was a sinner. Because he loved me, and he loved you. I could probably go on for a while, and y'all look like y'all tired of that point already. But it gets a little monotonous because there's not much more we can say to even comprehend that God loves us that much. I mean, I think about Psalm 139, it's not even in my notes, don't look for it, but when the psalmist talks about how powerful God is, that he's sovereign, that he's omniscient, that he's all-knowing, that he's omnipresent, he knows everything about me. He even knows the words that I don't speak. When I pat myself on the back and say, good job for not saying that, he's like, I know you said. <laughs> and then, after hearing the psalmist talk about the sovereignty and the power of God, he says, but he thinks about you daily, hourly, often, more times than the number of sand on the sea. And I don't understand that. How creator, God, sustainer of the universe and all that is, God, seems like he's got plenty to do without thinking about me. And I think you would say amen to that. But the biblical reality is he loves you and me individually in a way we can't even understand. And very practically, church, I think, I, I'm going to be honest, a lot of Baptists got, a lot of good Bible-believing churches got kind of scared of talking about the love of God because we, didn't, we wanted to be a little more hellfire and brimstone and I've heard, this, I've heard the messages. I've heard the messages that, keep, that would potentially keep me from coming to God. But then I read this message, and I see a message of a God who wants you to come to him and call on him. And I see the prodigal son in shame coming to God, but a father that loved him and was waiting on him 
and longing for him to come back to him. That's the love of a father. I was reading a story, um, not a true story, I'm sure, but uh, it kind of goes along with this thought that, um, let's just say this rowdy teenager was out with his friends and his friend said, let's go here. And it was somewhere where he knew he shouldn't go. He probably ended up doing something he knew he shouldn't do. I know none of, our, none of us have this issue, but occasionally this could happen in life. And um, the kid said, no, I can't go. I can't go. And his friend responded and said, are you scared your dad's going to hurt you? Now, some of us can relate to that. <laughs> and the, son's res- the boy's response was, no, I'm scared I might hurt my dad. That's the relationship of a son and a father where the son knows the father loves him. Dads, we, we all want our children to make good decisions, not because, I'm going to cut against the grain here, because some of us grumpy old men are like, My, I'll, you know I'll beat him half to death if he does that. <laughs> well, we might do that. But I want my son to make a decision because he loves his dad and knows his dad loves him. And he doesn't want to disappoint him, not because he knows he'll get beat half to death. That's the love of a father. When we understand or try to understand God's love, we will understand that Christians are part of the family of God. We are in the family of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed that we should be called the sons of God. Not only does God love us, we are children of God. That word there in the King James, sons, is the word that means children, that we can be boys and girls, sons and daughters of God. This is a continuation of verse 29 out of chapter 2 here, where John says, everyone that practices righteousness is born of him. You You don't become a member of a new family without being born again. I love this. I hope I hope you're still awake. The word here called in that which that we should be called the sons of God. I didn't know this, so I had to, I did a little research and found out called there is similar to a surname. Now, I don't know about you, but like when you start filling out stuff on a plane, like surname, and I was like, what is surname? But anyway, a surname, some of you, maybe I'm just slow, y'all already know it. A surname is a hereditary name common to all members of a family. This word called comes from our word like surname. Everybody with me? So my surname is Hunter. Right? Everybody with me? Those that should be called the sons of God, just, just play along with me. It's almost like our surname is child of God. It's hereditary. We've all got the same surname. This side seems like they're following. This side seems like they're about to. We've all got the same last name, child of God. Hey, who are you? I'm Dean, child of God. Who are you? Megan, child of God. Eric, child of God. I know some other child of gods. Y'all following along now? You down at the store? You a child of God? Yeah, I'm a child of God. Well, I know some other child of God. Yeah, he's a cousin of mine. He's a brother. Yeah, we're all child of God. Those who he has called, we have the same last name because it's, through the blood of Christ, it's in our, uh, it's hereditary. 
That's, that's who we are. We understand God's love, that he made us sons and daughters. We understand we got a new family. And some of you ought to be grateful for that. Because we got some messed up families. Now you can say, well, this is my crazy family. Like some of you teenagers, you're like, well, my family's crazy, but you ought to meet my spiritual family. They're good people, right? All right, they're good. So let me just take that further since I'm thinking about it. Teenagers, when you start dating, which you shouldn't date until you're at least 18, um, when you do start dating, <laughs> wait till his gets 18. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, introduce them to your crazy family and say, but I've got a better family, and then bring them to church. See how that worked out? I didn't even plan that out, but that worked out that way. And so here's my other family. And the reality is we've got some crazy ones here too. But we're all part of the family of God when we understand his love that he's made us sons and daughters. We've got a new family. Hey, that, I, I kind of joke about that because we all got some messed up family, but some people don't have a family. Now you talk about a different perspective when someone understands. I didn't have a mom, I didn't have a dad, don't have any brothers and sisters, but I've got a family. Hey, this, this place is a family. We're brothers and sisters, those of us who are believers. And we ought to take up for each other. We ought to encourage each other. We ought to support each other. We ought to fellowship with each other. We ought to lift each other up and not put each other down. That's what families do. How do you become? You've got to be born again. That's how I'm a family member. That's how I'm a child of God. I've got to be born into a new family. And Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Not only are Christians in the family of God, verse 1, yeah, we're still in verse 1, teaches us that Christians, are authentic Christians, are not just in the family of God, we're far into the world. This is where the real preaching starts, but we've heard it before, so I'll make it short and sweet. We're talking about authentic Christianity. John's already talked about the world. He's talked about the world system, the system of the, the antichrist system of the world, that the system that operates in opposition to God and his will. And when he says world, that's who he's talking about. We understand the love of God, that we've been called, we've been called the sons of God. And because of that, church, everybody, if you've been following the progression, God loves us. He made us, made us sons and daughters. Now we're part of his family. The next step is the world will not know you, acknowledge you, give you any attention. Therefore, the world knows us not because it didn't know him. And, and we obviously, I think we obviously know it's not just our word know because obviously someone can know us. People knew who Jesus was, but they didn't recognize him. They didn't um, honor him. They did not give him the necessary due attention. And he says right here, John says, and this, this, is gonna, this hurts some feelings. This is tough. I feel like I keep kind of moving toward the, the younger side over here. 
which I care about our teenagers, I care about our kids, I care about our young adults. And the reality that we see here at the end of verse 1, we've got to swallow this and understand it, church. Young Christian, young teenager, young adult living in this messed up world that's different than all us old folks, one thing still remains the same. The world will not know you. They will not acknowledge you. They will mistreat you. And they should. They did it to Jesus. We cannot serve two masters. And we must understand as a Christian who has a new identity, who has a new daddy, who has a new family, who is a new creation. When we're part of the family of God, the world will not know us. And we've tried to make it mean a lot of things in the church to kind of mess up the real truth. You'll still have friends that are lost, but they will not recognize. Here's a better word. They will not understand you. Therefore, the world understands us not. They don't understand why we do what we do. They don't understand why we don't do what we don't do. And they never will. And they shouldn't. And we don't care. No, that was mean. I shouldn't have said that. No, we know it's true. What? Hey, Billy, why don't you do such and such? such? Well, I, I'm, I'm part of a family. And I don't do that. Let me say it how you want to say it. Why do you go to church so much? You don't really have to answer it. We just know they don't understand. That wasn't a good example, was it? Yeah, I'm just wondering why we do go to church so much. <laughs> Maybe you're the one not understanding. But anyway, I, just don't, I didn't say that. I was taking that out of context. The reason people or the world won't understand us is because we're family, we're children of God. Therefore, it's like we're in a foreign world, which should start ringing some bells to the church folks. We are in a foreign world. This world is not our home. We're citizens of two countries. We're just passing through. We are just pilgrims. We're passing through. People look at us strange. By the way, we have a Holy Land meeting right after service, and that reminds me, in just a few months, we'll be walking through Jerusalem, and we'll be pilgrims, we'll be foreigners, and we'll look strange. We won't fit in. Binoculars, big old cameras. Some of y'all, some of our people, because you've got thin blood, you'll have a parka on and a hood on. Oh, it's freezing. Look at that weirdo. And uh, that's exactly what the world does. Look at that weirdo. And guess what? It's not, there's no problem with that. We ought to look different. They ought to notice, hey, that's a little different. He must be a part of a different family. 
I am. You are. And one of the, I believe, one of the biggest stress relievers in the Christian life is to come to the reality, I mean this seriously, that the world is not going to understand us. They're not going to be very supportive of us. They're not going to love on us because we're not of this world. Jesus talked a lot about that. They're not of this world. He prayed for us. Prayed not to remove us from the world, but to keep us and to protect us while we're in this world because he knew the world would not love us because they didn't love him. John talks about it. The same John writing this letter heard Jesus say in John 15, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. You notice that? I, I gotta stop there. Have y'all noticed? Still wait. Has everybody noticed how much the world loves its own? We'll give you a month. I, don't go there. All right. We'll give you a day. We'll give you a flag. I'm, we'll, not just one, one group. The world will rally around its own. We shouldn't be surprised. Should we be ticked off? I think so. But we shouldn't be surprised. What if they give us a day? They won't know us. They won't understand us. Why can't we have Christian Heritage Month? I don't expect them to. Stop griping about it. I don't expect them to. I got other things to gripe about. I checked that off a long time ago because Jesus said, if you love me, they'll hate you. Hey, but take heart. They hated me first. There you go. So I understand that. I don't like it. I thought everybody loved me. But they don't. And they won't love you. And they won't acknowledge you. And they won't understand you. And teenager, middle school, or high school, they won't understand you when you operate differently than them. But that's the way it's supposed to be. All right. We recognize his love. Number two, we have a revelation of his likeness. It's almost like John changes gears and he gives us, he says, well, presently you're children of God, but there's a prospect to look forward to. He says, yeah, we're the sons of God, and it doesn't appear what we shall be, but we know a few things. Now, this is interesting because if we're honest as believers, even as students of the word, there are a lot of things we don't really know and understand in Scripture. I've heard a lot of preaching and teaching from people that didn't know or understand, and they made up a whole bunch of stuff that I just don't see happening when we get to heaven. Maybe it's the Sunday morning, I shouldn't talk about this, but it's a Wednesday night conversation. But I'd like to write a book, or a small book, or a booklet on all the crazy stuff I've heard at funerals of what people are doing in heaven. Now, I know I don't want to offend anybody here, so I'm not going to say any specifics. And um, I'll, I'll... But the reality is we don't know a lot. <laughs> we want to know and we want to think. Some of you are itching for me to say something. I can see it. You are, you are the most intrigued right now you have been this whole service. 
say it. I dare you. All right, dogs in heaven. Oh, oh there we go. <laughs> Next week's sermon, are there dogs in heaven? The place will be packed. There'll be people outside with signs. Animal hater. I love dogs. That's my answer. The reality is we don't know a lot, but there are some things we do know. And here in verse 2, he says we are presently, we know that we are sons of God, we are family, we are children of God, and it doesn't yet appear, it's not been revealed what it shall be like. So there's our answer. There's some things that haven't been revealed to us, but we do know three things. Y'all ready? He shall return. But we know this, that when he shall appear, you can know for certain According to the word of God, not the word of the, the Baptist, but the word of God that Jesus shall appear. He will return. Now, do I know a lot? I know a little about how it might happen, but I don't know it all. I'd love to know exactly what it's going to look like, feel like, how, all that stuff. And it's fun to talk about. But you can save a lot of time by saying, I don't know exactly how and all it's going to look like, but I know it's going to happen because that's what we do know. He shall appear. The second thing we know is that we shall be like him. Oh, that's where all the questions come up. What are we going to eat when we get to heaven? Well, if you like biscuits, there'll be plenty of biscuits in heaven. We got people fishing in heaven, skiing in heaven, bingo in heaven. Whatever you like, it's there. I'm not making this stuff up, right? Y'all have heard some of this. Like, well, whatever we love down here, certainly it'll be in heaven. Let me find that one. Oh, right. No, that's not it. Now, I might be surprised. When I get there, y'all might be around the lake fishing it up. I don't know. But I don't think so. But that's just me. There may be puppies everywhere. There may not be a dog in sight. I don't want to go. That was intentional to draw perspective if you were paying attention. Okay. What we do know is that we shall be like him. What will we wear in heaven? Don't know. How old will we be in heaven? Don't know. Will we have feet in heaven? Don't know. I've heard those. I've heard those. Right? Some of y'all got answers already. Well, I know there's a verse that says we won't have feet. I've seen it somewhere. The reality is, according to the word of God, we will be like him. What we do know is that means we'll be glorified. We'll be like him. Generically or practically speaking, I think it's clear that we will have a new body. We'll be like him. We'll be glorified. Perfect knowledge. We'll know things we didn't know here. Farther along. Y'all know that one? That's a good one. We'll know a lot more. There'll be a lot of smart people in heaven, a lot of idiots down here now, but we'll all be smart in heaven. <laughs> right? I just wonder if people actually acknowledge they were wrong. Like, hey, let's talk about that thing you said. Remember that? Oh, have you asked Paul that yet? Huh? You said you were going to ask him. I remember you saying it. Where, where's Paul? You, you talked to him about it? What we do know is we'll be like him. 
I believe it teaches, I believe scripture teaches we'll have glorified bodies, new bodies, perfect knowledge. We'll be glorified like him, but we'll have individualities. I do believe that. I believe the Bible teaches that. I believe we'll be known as we're known. But we'll be like him. He's going to come. We'll be like him. And verse 2 teaches that we shall see him as he is. When Jesus prayed the high priestly prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane in John chapter 17, and he's praying for us, not for him. In verse 24, he prays and he says, my will or my, my desire is that they also, whom you have given me, my family, my children, will be with me where I am and that they may behold my glory. Talking about heaven's kind of exciting. Imagining being in heaven should be pretty exciting. And I believe, if we're going to be honest and don't want to hurt too many feelings, there's going to be some joys in heaven. But Jesus prayed that when we're there with him, that we will behold his glory. There's a lot of ridiculous things been said from pulpits all over. And we just kind of laugh it off. But John says, we have the prospect of one day, Jesus returning, we will be changed, and we will see him as he is. We've read about him. <clears throat> we've taught about him. We've preached about him. We've sung about him. But one day, the glory of heaven, the joy of heaven, yes, we'll see loved ones. I believe there'll be a glad reunion day. But can you imagine the joy of heaven? I want, you to, I want you to be serious for a second. Everybody in here who's born again has a picture, an image of Jesus. If we're honest, they're probably a little different. But the reality of Scripture is that the child of God will one day see Jesus as he is. We've seen him in our picture Bibles. We've seen him on our walls. I've actually got a, one in my office right now. It takes me back. Consider it his high school picture. It's the one, the profile picture of Jesus. We've seen those pictures. We've imagined. But I, I would love for every born-again child of God to try in our finite ways to imagine seeing Jesus as he is.
King of kings, Lord of lords. The, the one who died for us, our Savior, our intercessor. John says, one thing we know for sure is that we will see him as he is. We shall behold him. That was his prayer. We shall behold him face to face in all of his glory. We shall behold him face to face, our Savior and Lord. And worship him forever and ever and ever. The one we sing about, preach about, the one we gave our life to. The child of God is part of the family of God who has experienced the love of God will one day be with the Son of God beholding his glory that's unimaginable to these little minds forever. We're going to talk about all the fun stuff we're going to do in heaven. Now we're going to worship him. When our faith is made sight, what we've put our life on, what we've sold out to, we'll see him. And because of that, verse 3, hey, you got that hope? Everybody got that hope? That confident expectation? And every man, every boy, every woman, every girl, every child of God that has that hope, that's what he says, purifies themselves. We respond to his love. What does it do? Hey, I got a lot of verses here. Y'all are tired. I'm sweating. Time to go home. We're not just looking for his return. We're living in light of his return. We're not just um, waiting. We're working. Yes, God saved us through his grace, through his love, through his mercy. But he has a plan for us right now, and that's to purify ourselves. Make ourselves ready. Stay clean. Stay pure. Stay expecting to make clean or to sanctify ourselves is what he's saying. For an authentic Christian, truly born again, man or woman, boy or girl, our desire, not just in today's text, our desire should be, our strive should be to remain pure. Our desire should be to not sin. If you need further information about that, come on Wednesday nights, we've been in Romans. We're finished half the book. That's the desire of a true believer. I don't, want to, I don't want to hurt my father. Will I? Yeah. But I don't want to. My desire, my strive, my, my purpose in life is to avoid sin, to stay pure, to stay separate from this world. That's to purify myself. I do my part. Those who have this hope, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Not taking for granted the grace of God and sinning and living the way we want to live. 
Abide in him that when he shall appear, we'll have confidence last week's sermon and not be ashamed before him. Verse 28. How do we do that? How do we purify ourselves? John's already told us, abide in him. Abide in his word. Abide in him. He prayed in that prayer, Jesus, John 17, sanctify them by thy word. Thy word is truth. If a born-again family member of God stays in this book, abides in this book, we will separate ourselves from the world. If we live it, we'll be different. You won't have to do much trying. It'll just happen. Abide in him that when he shall appear, we won't be ashamed. We'll be a confident believer. Would you pray with me, Father? Thank you for so much reminding us that we've been loved by you in a way that we can't understand. God, I pray right now if there's a a person in this room who's an unbeliever, they're not saved, they've never been born again, they've never trusted in Jesus for their salvation. God, that today would be the day your Holy Spirit convicts them. They see their need for salvation. And maybe today's the first time they've read or heard of what your love looks like. They've thought or they've been told that they've got to do this, they've got to do that, they've got to do their part, and then you'll save them. But we understand that while we were sinners, you loved us, and you allowed your son, Jesus, to die for us. That if we call on him, we can be saved. And I pray for that person that's lost. God, that you would convict them and they would do that today. And for those of us who are believers and we know it, we're sure of it, God, that we can rejoice and celebrate in knowing how much you love us, how much you care about us, knowing that we have a promise of glorified body in heaven one day spend an eternity with you and seeing you as you are worthy of all glory and because of that you've given us some expectations and that's to be abiding in you abiding in your word purifying ourselves sanctifying ourselves so that when you return We'll be ready and unashamed. We'll be confident. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.